Well, I know you're excited that Pastor Jack is here. Jack is a Messianic rabbi, and uh, he pastors a church, and he also works with the Jewish Voice Ministries, and, and so we're going to give him a great summit welcome today. Would you do that? Amen. Wow. Thank you so much. Praise the Lord. Wow. Thank you for that. You know what? Let's give God all the praise. He's worthy. He's worthy. That was a welcoming that I felt as family, and thank you for that. During our time of prayer before the service, we got together, a few of us in Pastor Milt's office, and a number of the folks that I was with saying, said, Rabbi Jack, it's like your family here. And I said, thank you so, so much, because that is a very Jewish concept, by the way. I want to let you know that because now that I'm here three times, I guess I'm family. If I come again, you'll all adopt me. So maybe I won't go back to Phoenix, Arizona after all. Because this morning I spoke to my wife on the phone. I do live in Phoenix. And uh, I always talk to her when I travel. But this morning she asked me a loaded question. Because she knows where I am. She knows the climate up here. And she also knows that in Phoenix today it's about 112 degrees. So my wife, Sandy, asked me the question that she knew was going to start a fight. She said, what's the temperature? And I said, 57 degrees. She said, I am so mad at you. I said, what's the temperature where you are? She said, 111. She said, hun, when are you coming home? And I thought, October? I don't know. <laughs> but it's such a blessing to be back with you. And by the way, Mitch, are you back? Are you up in the booth? Thank you so much. And, and Mitch, thank you not just for doing double duty today, but triple duty, because Mitch was obviously, uh, uh, you know, on, on our worship team. And by the, worship, by the way, worship team, thank you for ushering us into the throne room of God today. Amen? Amen. And then Mitch did the announcements. And then when he finished up, you probably saw him making a beeline to go upstairs. And that's because Mitch also has to do the slides today for my PowerPoint. There's an explanation. I'm Jewish. There's always an explanation. And, and, and the reason that he has to do the slides is because, and, and I know he's watching, Greg usually does the slides. But Greg couldn't make it today, and Greg felt so bad, I was told, because Greg was looking forward to hearing Pastor Milt preach. So Greg, now that you're watching the service... I want to apologize. I am not Pastor Milt, but I play him on TV. Okay, let's go on. Anyway, God is so good all the time, amen? How many of you are meeting me and me meeting you for the very first time? Okay, quite a few folks. So let me give you just a little bit of a testimony so we can get to know one another a little bit better. Because you see up there it says rabbi, and I don't want you thinking through the whole service that, wow, he's Jewish. How we were able to get a Jew to come to a church in Wasilla, that must be an act of God. <laughs> but he's Jewish, but obviously he's open during the time of praise and worship. He had his hands raised. This looks good. I think we got a chance. Maybe we can get him saved before the service is over. 
And uh, just so you know, Christ is my Lord, Savior, Redeemer, Messiah, God, King, and everything. Amen. Are we good? <laughs> Praise the Lord. My, my wonderful wife, Sandy, actually led me to the Lord by showing me Jesus in the Old Testament. That's probably the quickest explanation of my testimony that I can give you. And, and uh, she actually uh, took her Bible out and started reading me these, these Bible verses, which I, I really was not interested in hearing. But, you know, when you're on your honeymoon, where are you going to go? And so the year was, uh, was 1988, and I gave my heart, my, my life to the Lord Jesus, Yeshua. And uh, we live in Phoenix, Arizona, and it's so, so good to be back with you here in Wasilla, Alaska. God is so good. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Message this morning, my message this morning, it's a little bit of a play on words. It's called The Times of the signs. This is also good note-taking stuff for you today. Oftentimes you hear the saying, the signs of the times. Uh, but I believe our focus should be on the times of the signs. Because in Matthew chapter 24, which is known as the Olivet Discourse, and I think, Pastor Milt, the first time I came here, I might have touched on these things. By the way, that's a hint. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus talks about the signs of the end of the age. And uh, what I want to do is I want us to examine the times that we're living in and then look at those signs and see if they correspond. Prophecy and fulfillment of prophecy is always, always happening. I love sometimes when I hear people say, you know, Pastor, we are living in very prophetic times, aren't we? Newsflash, we've always been living in very prophetic times. Because God has been working from before the beginning, and he will be working for all eternity. But there's something very, very special, something very, very significant about this time where there's a convergence of things all coming together at once like we've never seen before. So we're going to look at those things, and we're also going to look at wondering, is this the time of a sign known as the Ezekiel War? Or the battle of Gog and Magog. And that's a question that people have been asking a lot lately because of Russia's invasion of the Ukraine. So we're going to navigate through all of that this morning. But first, let's begin with, is that the first slide? That is, oh, nope, that's not it, but that's pretty cool. Let's go to the one right after this. Next slide, perfect. Okay, I think we'll start there. I want to start us off with Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, and just share this with you because this is where Jesus talks about those who really didn't exercise enough wisdom and enough discernment to know what either the signs of the times were or whether it was the times of the signs. Let me read these verses to you. I'm going to show you a couple of things in here that maybe you've never noticed before. Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came up, by the way, together. And testing Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he replied to them, when evening comes, you say, fair weather coming. And that's because the sky is red. And in the morning, stormy weather today, for the sky is red and gloomy. You know how to discern the appearance of the sky but you cannot discern the signs of the times. Now, there's two things that I want you to pick up in these verses. First of all, this is an extremely rare occurrence where you have Pharisees and Sadducees 
come together in agreement on anything. Because if you knew the Pharisees and the Sadducees or you understood them it, back in the day, the Pharisees were mostly the middle class, the Sadducees were the aristocracy, the Pharisees believed in resurrection, the Sadducees did not. The Pharisees, their focus for worship was the synagogue, the Sadducees' focus for worship was the holy temple. They didn't agree on hardly anything. The last thing you would expect would be to see these two groups together because they were constantly at odds with one another. But there was one thing that brought them together, their mutual hatred of Jesus. And so they both came together and they asked Jesus for a sign. And when Jesus said, you can't discern the signs of the times, uh, you know, a, a lot of things haven't changed over 2,000 years. We still have folks today who not only can't discern the signs of the times, but can't discern the times of the signs. Sometimes, depending upon what day of the week it is or what news headline there is, we're thinking, oh my gosh, prophecy is being fulfilled right now. And what I want to tell you this morning is that while prophecy is always being fulfilled, we've got to be careful not to look for a fulfilled prophecy every time we watch the news. Sometimes we can get so alarmed and so concerned and so out of shape and it's not of God. So here's what we're going to do. Let's look in Matthew chapter 24, and we'll go through some of these verses very, very slowly, at signs that Jesus says will come at a particular time. We'll examine if this is the time for those signs to come, and then we'll see what they have to tell us about the future. You ready to do this with me? Okay. Let's now go on here in Matthew chapter 24, verse 5. And I'm going to go through what's called the Olivet Discourse, primarily Matthew 24, verses 5 through 7. But I'm going to take them out of order. So I'm going to give you the verses, but I'll mention some things before others. Jesus says, For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive Many. So essentially what Jesus is saying is he's saying you'll know that we're in the last days because one of the signs of these times of the last days, and by the way, how many of you know we're in the last days right now? In fact, we've been in the last days for about 2,000 years because the book of Hebrews, which was written 2,000 years ago, refers to those times as these last days. So if it was the last days 2,000 years ago, how many of you know we're even more into the last days now? 2,000 years later. So one of the signs, Jesus says, is that you'll know that you're in the last days because there will be people who will come, they will spring out of nowhere, and they will claim to be Jesus himself. Is that happening now? I'm not asking that rhetorically. How many of you think it is? Raise your hands. Okay. How many of you don't think it is? Raise your hands. How many of you aren't sure and you don't want to be seen as giving the wrong answer, so you didn't raise your hand in either case? Raise your hands. Okay, got it. I know where you're at this morning. Are people coming today claiming to be Jesus as he said? You better believe it. In fact, let me introduce you to one of them. Now we'll go on to the next slide. Here it is. So guys, let me set this up for you. Let me show you what you've got. This is a slide with a married couple. You can see the guy on the left, and uh, this is his wife on the right. Now, I just want to set this up for you. Jesus was a Jew. I know that may surprise some of you. 
Because you've seen the portraits and the engravings and the illustrations. And every single time you do, you're told, Jesus was Jewish. Look, and you look at the illustration and he's got blonde hair and blue eyes. And he looks Norwegian. And then you watch him in the movie and you're saying, wow, he's got a British accent in every full-length feature film. This is so cool. So the Jesus that you're presented with is definitely not Jewish. We know that he was Jewish. Well, this gentleman on the left claims to be Jesus. The woman to his right is his wife. Her real name is Mary Luck, but he thought it would be cool to change her last name to Magdalene. What a surprise. He says, quote, my name is Alan Miller, but I'm actually Jesus. I remember my crucifixion. I understood what was going on, and I understood the reason for my death. He says, by the way, there's a few miracles that are written in the Bible. Uh, yeah, the Bible got it wrong. I didn't do them. He said, uh, you know that one about walking on water? Yeah, that wasn't me. Or you know the one about turning the water into wine? Yep, sorry, thanks for playing. I didn't do that either. This guy is claiming to be Jesus, and people are following him. Uh-huh. But listen, don't be so surprised. Jesus said, this is going to happen in the last days. And guys, it's happening now. Now, let's take a look at our next slide. Because this man who claimed to be Jesus actually made some predictions. Now, by the way, Jesus, the real Jesus, is God manifest in the flesh. And how many of you know that God knows everything? Yes? Are we good? Okay, so now that we've established that, now I can read to you what this says. This man who claims to be God in the flesh said, In 2012, the oceans will rise and the coast of Australia will be under 300 feet of water. By the way, this might have something to do with the fact that he lives in Australia, so Australia is his Israel. I don't know. Anyway, when it didn't happen, he said, well, he wasn't sure really that it would. He felt that it just might. So in other words, what we have here is a guy claiming to be God in the flesh who's a failed prophet. Does that stop people from believing in him? Absolutely not. In fact, he's got 25,000 followers around the world. His ministry brings in about half a million dollars a year. And this is a false Christ. This is one of the people who Jesus was telling you about would come about in the last days claiming to be him. By the way, the Australian, uh, uh, an Australian news broadcasting channel or service did a, an interview with some of his followers, and they asked, why do you follow this man? What makes you think that he is Jesus? And they said, because he loves us and he tells us things we like to hear. And my friends, that's also, believe it or not, a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Because in God's word, we are told that in the last days, people will not endure sound doctrine. In other words, they're not going to be focused on what the Bible says. What they're going to be focused on is what makes me feel good. What builds me up and gives me confidence. And we're seeing those types of things today. Very, very sad, but we're living in those days. Let's take a look now on our next slide. 
And here on our next slide, we'll go to another sign that Jesus spoke about of the last days in the Olivet Discourse. In Matthew chapter 24, the last part of verse 7, as I said, I'm kind of going out of order here, there will be famines. Now, this type of stuff makes it really, really easy for any church pastor or rabbi at any particular time because we can pull this out and say that there are famines now. And guys, we know that there have always been famines, don't we? In fact, you can go back mm, about 3,500 years to the times of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you know what they had in common? Not only were they all part of the same family, but they all went through a famine with their family. So family, famines have been around for thousands of years. So what's, what's news about that? Well, what's news about that is, yes, there will be famines, and yes, there are famines right now. But what we're seeing around the world is something we've never seen before. In other words, what I'm trying to tell you is, yes, there's famine and starvation, but I don't think we've ever seen it this bad. Let me show you on our next slide. This is a slide from an organization called the World Food Program, which reported last year in 2021, some 41 million people in 43 countries were at imminent risk of famine. So, 2021, 41 million people, 43 countries. Here we are seven months, eight months later in 2022, and that 41 million people has now risen to 50 million people, and the number of countries experiencing famine and starvation went up from 43 countries in 2021 to now 45 countries as of July 2022. That is an incredible rise in such a short amount of time. People in South Sudan, Yemen, and the northern parts of Ethiopia and Nigeria are at particular risk. So sure, listen, people have been claiming to be the Messiah for a long, long time. There are famines, obviously, that have been going on for a long, long time. But never in our history have we seen it to this concentration and level. Let's go on to the next one. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, also in the last part of verse 7, that there would be earthquakes in various places. Now, guys, this is another one. And for those of you, obviously, who live here in Alaska, we've had our share of earthquakes. And I'm not only talking about the one, I think it was in Anchorage in 1963, but didn't y'all have one in like 2018, if I'm not mistaken, around the Eagle River area that really tore up part of the highway over there? So, yes, obviously, there have been earthquakes, and there are continuing to be earthquakes. So, what's so special or what's so different about this particular time? Let me show you. The U.S. Geological Survey reports that the National Earthquake Information Center, get a load of this, now locates some 20,000 earthquakes around the globe each year, or somewhere on this planet each day, there are on average 55 earthquakes. That's a lot. And all of these are happening right now, converging all at one time, like we've never seen before. On now to our next slide, and let's take a look. And, and obviously, also, Jesus said that in the last days, there will be pestilences 
Now, that's a word that, that we hear often, but it, it, it's, a lot of people don't really know what it means, so why don't we give you a definition? And when you hear the definition, I think the light bulb will go on. The definition of a pestilence, listen to this. Here it is, everybody. A contagion or infectious epidemic that is virulent and devastating. Anybody know of one recently? Obviously. In our day and in our time. All happening right now. Let's go on. On to our next slide here. But Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 6, and by the way, I love this verse because by the time you get to this verse, you're pulling your hair out and saying, oh my gosh, the world is coming to an end. What are we going to do? It's all happening now. But Jesus says, listen, it's okay. See that you are not alarmed. Everybody go, don't you feel so much better? Yes, Rabbi, we feel better because we, you had us inhale and exhale. But aside from that, we have no idea why you did that. Okay, let me explain. There's a reason for this. The reason is, first of all, it's twofold. Number one, some of this stuff that's happening may be a surprise to you, but it's not a surprise to God. Do you know Jesus also says in his Olivet Discourse that these things must happen. And the reason that they must happen is because God has a greater plan. Don't you understand that as every day and week and year goes by, we are getting closer and closer to the end. And the reason Jesus doesn't want you to be alarmed is because we've seen, we've read about what the end looks like. It's at the end of the book, in the book of Revelation, and the news there is good because, guys, guess what? We win. We win. And so that's why Jesus says, see that you are not alarmed. And so what we should do after reading those things is we should say, we shouldn't worry. God's got it all under control. I feel so much better now. And that's exactly what hardly anyone does. Because the minute Jesus says, see that you are not alarmed. Did you ever notice like if somebody says to you, do not think of an elephant. What's the first thing you do? Right. So Jesus says, see that you are not alarmed. What's the first thing that so many Christians do? We get alarmed. We get worried. And we get upset. And, and we look for problems everywhere. As an example, conspiracy theories. Where all of a sudden our minds gravitate toward doom and gloom. Even though Jesus said, don't be alarmed. Listen, go about your day. Go and share the gospel. Go and make disciples. Don't worry about this stuff. But yet we worry about this stuff. And have you noticed over the past years, there have been so many things coming down the pike that we've gotten alarmed over. And yet they came to nothing. Let's take a little trip through recent history. On to our next slide. Does anybody remember, and this was popular about, oh, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, uh, something called the blood moons? Now, some of you remember, you're nodding your heads. If you don't, let me acquaint you. This idea was that uh, in the Bible, it says that, uh, that one day the sun would no longer shine and the moon would turn to blood. And so somebody came up with the idea. They said, you know, when the moon goes into eclipse, it kind of looks like blood. This must be exactly what God was talking about in the book of Revelation. 
And so these folks decided, we must get this word out. And so they wrote books about it. And here was the gist of those books. In two, whips. hang on, those are books, but that's not the slide. Don't worry, you're quick. Somebody's had their Kaladi's coffee this morning. I'm proud of you. Anyway, stay over here. I'll let you know when the next slide comes. So here, if you see on the top over there, you're looking at the moons. And, it, and the, the whole deal here was that people were saying, wow, there's something very, very unusual. Because in 2014, there was a total eclipse of the moon twice, and both times it was on two biblical festivals. The first time in 2014 it was on Passover, and the second time in 2014 it was on what's called Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles. But, as if that weren't enough, in 2015 it happened again. There were two more lunar eclipses, and each one happened on the exact same biblical festivals. Passover and Sukkot of the Feast of Tabernacles. Surely this is a sign from God. We must watch this. Terrible things are going to happen. And people got alarmed. And they didn't need to. Because even if you have just a passing knowledge of astronomy, here's what nobody was telling you. What nobody was telling you is that you can only have an eclipse of the moon when the moon is full. The moon is only full one day out of each month on the 15th day of the Jewish month. There are only two festivals on the calendar that fall annually on the 15th day of the Jewish month. Passover and Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles. So my friends, this is science. It was not a big deal. Why did you have eclipses on these festivals only? Because these are the only festivals that fall on the 15th day of the month when the moon is full, and the moon can only be an eclipse when the moon is full. Guys, it's not a thing. But it sure sold a lot of books. And it sure got a lot of people really alarmed. And there was no reason for them to because Jesus said, don't get alarmed. But we still got alarmed. And some of us even got alarmed with something on our next slide like this. Anybody remember those wonderful, wacky, fun-loving Mayans in their 2012 calendar? In case you've forgotten, let me tell you the story that started to circulate around early 2012. Where it came from, I have no idea. But the story was that, that for the Mayans, that the Mayan calendar would end at the end of 2012. And the belief was that that would be the end of days and the end of the world. And so the story that came out is that, well, look, the Mayans are saying that the world is going to come to an end at the end of 2012 because their calendar is ending. And people became alarmed, which means other people wrote books to even further alarm them. Let's take a look at some of the covers. Let's see. Mayan calendar prophecies, the complete collection of 2012 predictions and prophecies. Look at this. Even National Geographic, an otherwise reputable outfit, got into the act. Doomsday 2012. And how about this one on the right? End of the world 2012. The easiest. I don't know if you can read it, so I'll give this to you. Looks like the latest up-to-date information on the Mayan calendar, the alignment with the galactic calendar, etc. Will the world end in 2012? 
Did the world end in 2012 like the Mayans and so many other people were saying, as evidenced by the fact that you're sitting here this morning? I guess not. Because here's what happened. When 2012 ended, here's the secret that nobody told you. The next Mayan calendar started and the world continued to go on. But the question is, why did we even, many of us as Christians, why did any Christian even bother listening to the Mayans in the first place? Guys, did you know they worship many gods? Did you know they listen to pagans? Why would we give them even a moment of our attention when, on our next slide, God says in Jeremiah 10, 12, learn not the ways of the pagans. And yet we were hanging on every word those obviously educated, intelligent, and deeply spiritual Mayans were saying. I said that sarcastically. You understand where I'm coming from. And then... As if that weren't enough, and I'm glad, by the way, that there were so many kids in here today. Now that, uh, now the kids have gone off, right? Okay, so now that the kids are not in here, um, because I'll show you something that they wouldn't remember, but that many of you would. Anybody remember that? <laughs> there it is, everyone. Y2K. And as I'm, as I'm looking across, I see some people actually who might actually have been born after this, like maybe in 2000, so 2001. So let me explain what this was. Y2K was the idea that uh, in 1999, and even the White House got into this. They said in 1999, they said, here's, here's the problem. The problem is that the computers, they said, that were in existence in 1999, that at the end of the year, when you go from December 31, 1999 to January 1, 2000, that those computers had not been equipped or manufactured to make the change mechanically. A picture, if you will, four dials over there, 1999, but, but on that first dial, it was just the number one. And when the dials would change to 2000, the nines would change to zeros, but there's only a number one here. And so the belief was that when they go to the year 2000 and the computers change, instead of changing to the year 2000, they change back to the year 1000. Oh my gosh. And that means that planes will fall out of the sky and the electric grid will stop working. And people were saying, it's the end of the world again. And so the idea was, and, and people started panicking and saying stuff that didn't make sense. I remember someone saying, what, Y2K? The world is coming to an end? Okay, we need to stock up on food. What? Think about this. Now, I want you to put those two sentences together because people were saying these, and, and we're going to play a game. This does not make sense. The world is ending. We need to stock up on food. I think you got it. Now, I mean, really, but nobody thought about this. Think about this. Okay. Let's take this step by step. Okay. If the world is coming to an end, we're no longer here. Nobody's eating! But this is what people were doing. And in fact, on December 31, 1999, my wonderful wife Sandy said uh, in the morning, she said, Jack, she said, you know, I know there's probably nothing to get upset about. I said, yes, because Jesus said, do not be alarmed. She said, but, you know, it, it's always good to be ready and prepared for anything. 
And so she said, uh, before you come home today, do you think you could do a little shopping at Costco? <laughs> I said, sure. So I went to Costco, and I came home, and she said, she said, did you, did, did you go shopping? I said, yes, honey. She said, oh, good. What did you get? And I had this one little bag, and out of this little bag, I took out of it one six-and-a-half-ounce can of tuna fish. She said, that's all you bought? I said, honey, it's okay. It's the large size. Don't worry. You're going to be fine. I can't believe you guys asked you to do that. I said, sweetie, you have nothing to worry about. There will be food tomorrow. The world is not coming to an end. It's okay. P.S. So that was December 31, 1999, and that night, and I may have shared this story the first time I was here, but it bears repeating. We were uh, invited to our friend Len and Cindy Brown's house in Phoenix, wonderful Christian couple. She's a nurse. He specializes in air conditioning and refrigeration, and Len also was one of the greatest practical jokers I've ever met in my life. Some of you already know where I'm going with this. So we're invited over to their house to bring in the new year, and we're all sitting down having fellowship in his house, and we're, we're watching the TV, counting down the clock, and 10, 9, 8, and I noticed when we got to 8 out of the corner of my eye, I saw Lynn getting up and walking out of the room and going outside to the back of the house. Six, five, four, three, two, one. Happy, and all the lights in the house went out. All of a sudden, everything goes pitch dark, pitch black. Everything, all the lights in the house are out, and people start screaming. Oh, my gosh, it's Y2K. It's real. It really happened. I can't believe it. The world is coming to an end. And out of the corner of my room, I hear my wonderful wife saying, Jack, why did you only buy one six and a half ounce can of tuna fish? <sighs> About five seconds later, someone goes over to where the window is and pulls the drapes aside and says, hey, how come the lights are on at every other house across the street? Do not be alarmed. But too often we gravitate to alarm. So much so that we lose our focus and we lose centering on the gospel. Let me explain the last time that we did that. Look, I've got a Facebook account. I don't post a lot. It's one way for me to keep in touch with people who I can't reach by phone because they never call me back. Like, mom, but anyway, anyway, so, so, um, but, I, you know, during COVID, when COVID was, was at its height, and many of my friends are Christians, and I'm reading their posts, and I'm thinking, what are you doing? Because on their post, guess what they're posting? Here's why the vaccine does work. Here's why the vaccine doesn't work. It does, it does, it doesn't, it doesn't, and people are dying, and they're talking about vaccines, and I'm thinking, my gosh, you're a Christian. You have a platform to speak to the whole world through social media. Now that people are dying, forget about whether the vaccine works or not. Shouldn't you be using that to present the gospel to save people out of hell? Just a thought. But we got alarmed. Our priorities were in the wrong place. Let's now go on and look at another sign. 
Matthew 24, 6. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Next slide also. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Has that been happening for ages? Of course. But there's a convergence. Is this also happening now? You better believe it is. And we know we're all thinking of one thing. Russia invading the Ukraine. And because that began several months ago, ever since then, we've been asking ourselves, well, let me see, Russia's a world power way to the north of Israel. The Bible says that one day a world power to the north of Israel will come down and invade Israel. It's found in the book of Ezekiel. It's called the Ezekiel War. Could we be in those days? Well, first, let me spend just a couple of minutes to explain why Russia is invading the Ukraine in the first place. Let's go on to our next slide here. Oh, well, we're going to go here instead. That's okay. The War of Gog and Magog is also known as the Ezekiel War. In fact, in a minute, and you can do it now in your Bibles because we're done with Matthew 24, I want you to turn to Ezekiel chapter 38. Now, I'll have the Bible verses up on the screen for you, and that's okay, but I also want you to see them. Are we there yet? Is this the time of the Gog and Magog War, where this world power, if you will, comes down to attack Israel? Well, let's go on to our next slide. Why is Russia attacking the Ukraine? Okay, hold your place at Ezekiel 38. I get to tell you. On to our next slide. Here, my friends, is a map, and obviously that red is Russia, a lot of it. To the left, you see that small kind of blue-gray splotch? That's the Ukraine. Massive Russia, which looks like it could probably fit, oh, I don't know, maybe 20, 25 Ukraines in it, is attacking this little nation. So Ukraine is really playing a David versus Goliath battle here. But the question is, why is this happening? Let's go on to our next slide and I'll show you. In 1949, an organization was formed called NATO, which is an acronym for the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. The reason that this organization was formed was because it was after World War II. But you had quite a few countries in Europe that were really, really worried. They were intimidated by Russia as a world power. And they thought that Russia was going to attack them. They believed that Russia was going to attack each one of these tiny countries individually. Because if you're a tiny country on your own, you can't fight against Russia. So these tiny countries had an idea. They said, we can't fight Russia alone if Russia attacks us. But if we all join together with other countries in this big organization, then there is strength in numbers and Russia won't come after us. So it was specifically a defensive organization. And that organization came to be called NATO, or the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. It's still in existence today. Russia basically said, well, if you're going to get together with other countries and form your organization, we're going to do the same thing. And so on our next slide, in 1955, Russia got together with several other countries and formed an organization called the Warsaw Pact. It lasted until 1991, because in that year, Russia's economy collapsed and pieces of Russia declared themselves to be their own countries. They didn't want to have anything to do with Russia anymore, so they declared their independence. One of those pieces on our next slide is today the Ukraine. 
Now you know where the Ukraine comes from. And the reason Russia is attacking the Ukraine is because when uh, Vladimir Putin came to power, he, one of his goals has been to bring Russia to her former glory and pull the pieces back together again to once again become Russia. They don't want to come back together again. They like their independence. Putin doesn't like them having their independence and considers them a threat. That's why he's attacking the Ukraine. Simple explanation. Everybody got it? Let's go on. Here on our next slide now, is this the time, since Russia is attacking the Ukraine, which is to her south, is this the time where when Russia finishes up with the Ukraine, she's going to continue to go down to Israel and attack Israel like God says in Ezekiel 37, 38, 39 and start the Ezekiel War or the Battle of Gog and Magog? Well, here are some opinions. The Jerusalem Post even asked the question, has the biblical Gog and Magog war begun? Next slide. The Washington Post. Pat Robertson says Putin was compelled by God to invade Ukraine to fulfill Armageddon prophecy. All righty. And one more from Baptist News Global. Let's be clear. Putin's invasion of Ukraine is not about the rapture and Russia in biblical prophecy. So we've got a lot of opinions. But we know that God's word is fact. Amen? So let's take a look at what God's word says. And then we'll see if we are in the times of the signs of the Ezekiel war. On to our next slide. Ezekiel chapter 38. We'll look at verses 1 through 2 and 5 and 6. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal. Prophesy against him, Push, uh, Persia, Cush, and Put will be with them, all with their shields and helmets. Also Gomer with all its troops, and Beth Togarma from the far north with its troops, the many nations with you. Let's admit, those names don't make any sense. So let's retranslate them into present day. Here's a little map for you on the upper left-hand corner. And these are the countries that we believe are referred to. Roche, it's believed as a reference to Russia. Put, a reference to Libya, Gomer, Germany, Kush, Sudan, or even Ethiopia. Persia, Iran, Meshech, Tubal, and Togarma, Turkey. And Magog, uh, pretty much any country that ends with the word Stan. Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, and Afghanistan. Let's go on. Next slide. Let's read on in Ezekiel 38 and find out what Ezekiel tells us about some things that are supposed to happen during that time in order for this battle to start. And then we'll see if those signs are happening right now. Therefore, son of man, prophesy. Say to God, this is what the sovereign Lord says. In that day... When my people Israel are living in safety, pause. So we know that this Ezekiel war is going to happen when Israel is living in peace and safety. Is she? We'll talk about that in a minute, but that's one of the conditions. Will you not know? You will come from your place in the far north, you and many nations with you, all of them riding on horses, a great horde, a mighty army. You'll advance against my people Israel like a cloud that covers the land. And in the days to come, Gog, I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. Next slide. And when you, Gog, no longer exist... Those who live in the cities of Israel will go out and make fires with the weapons and burn them. Both the large shields and the, the bucklers, the small shields, the bows and arrows, the war clubs and the spears. For seven years, 
they will burn them. So we have some signs of the times within these times. We know that this force to the north, whoever it's going to be, will attack Israel when she's living in peace and safety. Israel will be burning weapons for seven years. But this one nation, if you read those verses carefully, said it's going to have other nations joining them as a coalition. So if it's Russia, it's not going to be Russia alone. All right, let's take a look and see where we are and let's go on. Essentially, what the Bible is telling us is that this war of Gog and Magog or the Ezekiel War occurs when these things happen. When the people of Israel are back in the land, when we are in the last days, when Russia makes alliances with Libya, Sudan, Iran, and Turkey, and when Israel is living in peace and security. Are all of those things happening now? Let's take a look. Number one, yes, the people of Israel are back in the land. Ezekiel 37, the last part of verse 12 to verse 14. See, I told you this would be good note-taking. This is, whoops, hang on. They got to take the note. Don't go on yet. Okay. Uh, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I will open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. And then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. So one of the signs in order for this war of Gog and Magog war to begin is that the people have to be brought back by God into the land of Israel. That is happening in our lifetime. Let's look at the next sign now. The next sign, are we in the last days? Because we have to be in order for this war to occur. Answer, yes. The book of Hebrews, whoops, hang on, I'll let you know. The book of Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 2, in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways, but in these last days. He's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. Two for two so far. Next sign. Has Russia made alliances with the countries that she needs to make alliances with so that those countries will join her as she comes down to attack Israel? Answer, this is a very Jewish answer. Yes and no. Yes, because Russia has alliances with Libya, Sudan, and Iran, but no, because Russia's relationship right now with powerful Turkey, it's kind of complicated. Here's why. While tourism and trade relations between Turkey and Russia are strong, the two countries differ militarily. Turkey and Ukraine, by the way, are allies. Did you know that Turkey actually sells drones to the Ukraine so that the Ukraine can use those drones to attack the Russian army? How many of you know, like, Vladimir Putin and Russia don't like that? And so because of that, things are not as warm and fuzzy between Russia and Turkey as they otherwise might be. So, no, we're not there yet in terms of this sign. Plus, did you hear the news last month? Turkey supported Sweden and Finland joining NATO, that organization that Russia considers a threat. And Turkey was the one who put their hand out to add those countries in. So, again, no alliance yet between Russia and Turkey. And let's go on. Is Israel living in peace and safety and security right now? No. 
That has not yet been fulfilled. While some say Israel is, based upon its well-equipped army, its air force, and its Iron Dome defense system, Israel is on a constant high alert because of constant indiscriminate attacks from her Arab neighbors. So, my friends, for so many who have been saying, oh my gosh, Russia is attacking Ukraine, is this the time of the biblical war of Gog and Magog? Not yet. So if it's not now, when? Well, there are many different opinions. Let's take a look at our next slide. One view is that this war will happen before the rapture or the catching away and the tribulation period. Another view is that it will have to happen after the rapture, but before this seven-year period when the Antichrist comes to power. A third view, it will happen during the first three-and-a-half-year period of the tribulation, also known as a period of false peace, where everybody's in love with this guy who's claiming to be the Messiah until he shows himself for who he is. Number four, at the end of the tribulation, but before this thousand-year millennial kingdom. Number five, during the millennial kingdom, but there's one more view, and that view is on the next slide. How about none of the above? Are you confused now? It could be anything at any time. Why? Let me show you. On to our next slide. I want you to see something. I'm going to give you Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 1 and 2, from two different Bible versions. So you're going to see the same verse twice. This is what it looks like in the New King James. Then you're going to see it in another version, but something's different. See if you can spot what it is. Listen really carefully. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh. Meshech and Tubal prophesy against him. So that's the verse in the New King James. Let's look at these same verses, though, in what would be most other Bible translations. On to our next slide. Here it is, same verses. Something's different. See if you can pick it up. And if you can't, I'll show you both verses at the same time in a minute. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, prophesy against him. Do you notice anything different between the two? If you don't, it's really subtle. Somebody said it. What did you say? Yeah, how about that? Let's take a look at both at the same time. Look at the one on the top in the New King James. Three lines down, you see the word Rosh there, don't you? Which many believe is Russia. But look at the second version of the verse from the Tree tree of Life version and most other Bible versions. You don't see the word Rosh in there at all. Do you understand that the vast majority of Bible versions do not have that word Rosh that many people ascribe to Russia actually being the world power that comes down to attack Israel? Most Bibles don't even say it. Why is there a discrepancy? You need to know the original Hebrew because the Bible was not originally written in the King James Version. Newsflash. Let me show you onto this slide. When it talks about the word Rosh in Ezekiel 38, and by the way, since you have the rabbi here, would you like to learn a little bit of Hebrew before we finish up? Great. Three people. That's wonderful. Don't worry. I'm not going to make you say a word that has the sound in it. It's going to be okay. I'm sure glad there's no row right over here. Everybody say, Nisi Rosh. You just spoke fluent Hebrew. That's the original Hebrew in Ezekiel 38, and that's where many put in the word Rosh, and they think it refers to Russia. But the idea that Rosh must be Russia because they sound similar, 
makes about as much sense as saying that one who gets a suntan follows Satan, since those words sound similar too. This is a faulty way of interpreting scripture, which is why the vast majority of Bible translations don't mention Rosh. Which doesn't refer to a country. The Hebrew word Rosh means head or chief as a physical place. As a chief. Thus, Nisi Rosh is best translated as chief prince. In other words, guys, so many people are saying Russia's going to come down and attack Israel. And that'll be the war of Magog, Gog and Magog. And that's what it says in the Bible. No, it doesn't. Surprise. So if it's not Russia, who is it? On to our next slide. The answer is, my friends, we don't know. But whoever it is, do not be alarmed. Because not only did Jesus say that in Matthew 24, but he also said that right here in Luke 21, 28. When these things begin to come to pass, look up and lift your heads. Why? For your redemption is drawing near. That's what our focus should be on. Stop worrying. Stop following the news. Stop fighting on Facebook. Get to the essentials of sharing the gospel like you've never shared it before because the Lord is coming back. If you're a believer in him, you're already part of the harvest. We're already part of the harvest. And our focus should be on getting a whole lot of other sheaves of wheat to be part of that harvest too. Amen? Now I'll close us in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, it's really easy sometimes for us to major in the minor. And sometimes it's not just majoring in the minor. It's, it's majoring things that, that don't even have enough credence or credibility to be called minor. They, they, there's no reason for, for it to be part of our daily lives. Help us, Lord God, to recognize the times of the signs because they are real and true. But also, let us use these times not to be alarmed because you've told us that in several ways and in so many ways already. But help us to use the times the way that you told your disciples to use any time to share the good news, to make disciples of all nations. Let that be our goal and our desire in the precious and holy name of Jesus. And everyone agreed and said... Amen. As, we, uh, as I finish up, and uh, I know that in a, in a few minutes, by the way, uh, and I'm thankful for this, Pastor Milt, thank you so much, we'll be receiving a, a special offering for Jewish Voice Ministries International, the organization that I'm a part of. When you came in, you received a card from our ministry. Would you take that card out? I want to tell you a little bit about the ministry. Here's why. And I think I said this the last time I was here, too. Uh, Sandy and I receive mail from so many different ministries and organizations. And we think that since God tells us to test the spirits, which means to use our discernment, what we do is before we give to anybody or anything, we check them out to see if they're legit. Good idea. Amen? Let me tell you a little bit about this ministry and, and why this September I will be with them now for 18 years. Aside from their CEO, I'm like their longest-running employee. They're, trying to, they're already saving up for the gold watch. Anyway, um, in the early to mid-1960s, there were a lot of organizations preaching the gospel and getting a whole lot of people saved, but hardly any of those people who were getting saved weren't Jews 
because the gospel that was preached came out solely and specifically from the New Testament. It's called the Romans Road. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Believe in this Christ's sacrifice, his shed blood, atoning for your sins. And that's a great message, but Jewish people needed to get saved too. They don't have another way, but they weren't being reached. And so our organization got started because we said, if Paul wants us to reach the Jews with the gospel too, we got to give them that same message out of the Old Testament. And so that's exactly what we've been doing now for the better part of, my goodness, some 60 plus years. And so one of the reasons that I'm with this organization is because God said in Genesis 12, I will bless those who bless Israel. You know what the greatest way of blessing Israel is? Shocker, it's not with your money. Give them the gospel. That's the best way you could bless anybody. Give them Jesus. When we do that, though, it does take financial resources. For example, and, and, and sister, I'm so, so blessed about what you shared when you came up earlier, talking about the fact that, look, it's not just about Africa. It's right here. And you were absolutely right when you shared that. But our ministry goes all over the world holding medical clinics in places where there are people dying from things that we take an aspirin to remedy. And these people don't know Jesus at all, and so we provide them free medical care. And they ask us, why do you do this? And we say, because we believe in a God who loves you, and he sent us to show you how much he does. They then want to know who this God is, and we invite them to come into our prayer room to receive prayer, and we give them the gospel. And the last one of these that I was on, we treated 10,000 people in five days. Of that number, 3,500 came into our prayer room willing to receive prayer, and of that number, 1,462 gave their lives to Christ. And nobody was alarmed because the gospel was preached. Praise the Lord. That should be our priority. So now that you know what our organization does and what we do, and by the way, we're on TV, we've got a television show, what I want you to do is, is prior to the offering being received, on the front of the card, fill it out with your name, address, phone number, etc., etc. We will keep in touch with you. You'll be hearing from us by mail. We'll also send you emails if you put your email address down. And listen, I know some people are hesitant, and I said this the last two times I was here. Here's what you need to know. Anything we send you on our own remains free. Uh, no, uh, we, uh, we won't stuff your mailbox. And no, as I said last time, we don't sell your name to telemarketers anymore. But anyway... Fill out the front of the card. Bottom of the card, there's a box that says go. If you work in the medical field, do me a favor, check the go box. We want you to go with us on a medical clinic and serve. If you don't work in the medical field, do me a favor, check the go box. We want you to come with us and work on the medical clinic because you don't need a medical degree to share the gospel with someone. The card is in two parts. After you fill it out, tear it off at the perforation. Keep the smaller part of the card for you so you've got our information with you. Before I head on out at our materials table, give the larger part of the card to me and you'll be hearing from us pretty soon. Some folks, I know we'll be receiving a love offering. Sometimes people say, well, I didn't bring cash or check. Maybe I want to give by credit or debit. That's fine. That's what the back of the card is for. And thank you so, so much. But let the Lord speak with you on that. Pastor Mill, amen. Praise God. Thank you, brother. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to connecting with you next time. And don't forget, you can support us by giving through the Church Center app 
or by going online at summitwc.com give.